This podcast features adults using adult language, but you know, you gotta grow up sometime. days i'm actually gonna read one of your books it's all right my husband has never read any of my books well i i made him read one while we were dating i was like you have to read at least one of my books because otherwise this is weird for me um and he's never read another one including the one that i wrote that was like a really big bestseller that's about his grandpa who was like a nazi resistor during world war ii he's never read it oh my gosh (laughs) but i get it i mean i think it might be weird to like see a person one way who you know really well who is you know perhaps your spouse and then like you you read their book and realize that they're capable of doing this whole other thing that's like outside the realm of how you know them i mean i could see that being weird paul knows that i wake up in the morning and fart really loud and he probably (laughs) doesn't want to have to contrast that in his head with also i am capable of writing this incredibly elegant prose and i just choose to be a disgusting fart monster around him so yeah (laughs) It's important, like, really, it's it's so important that we have the people in our lives who know us as disgusting fart monsters. Well, mm-hmm. anyway, this is Gotta Grow Up Sometime, a Swan's Crossing retrospective. I am Libby Grant. I'm Nathan Kessler-Jeffrey. Before we actually get into recording our thoughts on, uh, this is our seventh episode, but it's episode eight of Swan's Crossing, because we had a double whammy last last week. Um, I can't believe we've reached this point so quickly, but we have to give a few shout outs to three of our listeners. We have have listeners, which will never cease to amaze me and maybe horrify me a little bit. Um, Thank you to all of you who listen to this insane podcast. We are so glad to know we aren't just screaming into the void, but we're also screaming into your ear holes. And uh, we love your ear holes. In particular, thank you to Ray Kowalski, I probably said your name right. I'm sorry, Ray Kowalski, like Stanley Kowalski. It was, it was, who's the guy in Streetcar Named Desire? Kowalski? That's right? Stanley Kowalski. You got okay. it. This is Ray, not Stanley. But he probably can rip his shirt off real good, like Stanley. Ray might be the world's biggest Swans Crossing fan. He is a pure delight. And recently he was moving and he came across some amazing Swans Crossing memorabilia that he was packing up. Took a bunch of pictures of all this stuff and sent it to me. Um, I'm going to get his okay to put it up on the Instagram account, but it's great. He found a poster book and like took pictures of the inside of it, of like all these crazy images. Ray also did me a huge solid and went and joined the Swans Crossing Facebook group so that he could tell them about our podcast. There are like 400 fans there and it's a really active group. Um, so that seems about the right number. That yeah. seems like the, the number of fans for Swans Cross. And I'm going to go find it right now and join. Yeah, join, but there's no self-promotion allowed. So I joined too, but I, I can't like go in there and be like, listen to my podcast about Swans Crossing. So Ray did that for us. And Ray, we appreciate you so much. You are the best. You are the Ralph to my Sydney. <laughs> also, shout out to a Twitter user who goes by the handle of Jack Tripper, who tagged us in a tweet where they responded to someone who posted asking for people's favorite podcasts. Apparently, we are Jack Tripper's favorite podcast. Um, That's amazing. It is amazing. I'm not even sure how it's possible, but I am very grateful. 
And last of all, thanks to my good friend Devin, who told me to do this podcast about Swans Crossing in the first place. She texted me late last night, <laughs> confirming the existence of family vaults. You know why? Because her family has one. Her family has a vault. It is a rich people thing. Well, <laughs> well, it's maybe a middle class people thing in Devin's case. But, <laughs> I mean, you know, we grew up in Edmonds. It's not like rich people land. <laughs> Hey, as a person as a person who grew up in the Midwest, Edmonds is rich people land. It is kind of true. I mean, let me clarify. We grew up not in the Edmonds Bowl. If you're from Edmonds, uh, you know. We were not in the Emerald Hills, y'all. We were gotcha. on gotcha. 236. But apparently this is actually the kind of vault where your family members get buried after they die. So not exactly the kind of vault we were musing about in the first episode. I don't think anyway. But a family vault nonetheless. Okay. Cool. Not the sort of vault that you would put the sun in for the night. No, although I did text her back asking if when she visited her family vault, whether she found the sun inside it. She has not responded yet. Stay tuned, dear listeners. <laughs> Pins and needles to find out whether Devin found the sun. Um, and if you, like, if you would like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Gotta Grow Up Pod and on Instagram at Swans Cross Pod. I did it. I remembered to get our socials in. <laughs> yeah. Well, are you ready to get into it? I'm so ready. Let's do this. Uh, okay. Episode eight. Here we go. Um, and and your predictions from last week as a refresher, you thought there would be more Owen and Sandy prepping for the surprise for Mila. Sydney and Garrett would try to concoct a way to get together to get around the wall that's only six feet long. And you were right about that. Huzzah. Yeah. One, um, one for two so far. Uh, <laughs> with a good record. You thought that Mila wouldn't see Owen at all and would get distracted by Garrett. You figured some sort of party would be the next big event that's coming, uh, like the Countess throwing a party for Mila. JT and Neil would get their, their first thing back from their Professor Van experiment. More people from the offstage presence of the Baldies or the other computer guys. Some more of this weird thing going on with tracking Neil and JT from mysterious outside forces. And you predicted more fallout from the toppling of the towers. Yeah, so essentially I'm like one for ten. <laughs> Well, no, I mean, you're two for ten. We did get more from the Baldies. It opens with them. Yes, that's true. That's true. Let's they, jump into it. Yeah, so so they're reading a letter from Professor Van. So well done on predict, predicting that. <laughs> letter is signed, yours cordially in the future of science. <laughs> right. I'm going right. to sign and all my correspondence <laughs> that way from now on. <laughs> yours cordially in the future of science. <laughs> Libby Grant. Um, so... I the one thing I did pause the episode just to see how much of the letter the letter I could read, and it is about them trying to develop heat resistant metals for use in engines. Yeah, I actually did the same thing, and it is it, it's all just like heat resistant shields. All these are like, who is this guy? And then there is the most terrifying giggle that will haunt my nightmares. Yes. And then he says, Professor Van, our most wanted scholar. I'm really not clear on whether we ever find out specifically why the Baldies are so hung up on Professor Van. Like, do they just want to nab his discoveries? Or is he some kind of a like threat to them politically or what? Maybe it gets explained later. But honestly, I've never paid enough attention because I think the Professor Van stuff is the most boring part of this show. Well, and the, the Baldies just seem to be there to be a menacing presence. Yeah, you know, <laughs> they're they're essentially the Baldies are on the Lost Island <laughs> in a completely different TV series. 
Yeah, kind of. What's happening? So then we cut to Neil and JT, and Neil is messing with some sick computer graphics, which were incredible for 1992, but are like so sad you couldn't even make an ironic meme out of them now. It looks like he's working on some sort of like molecular chemistry simulation program, and he's getting very frustrated. I think it's because he can't type, but maybe <laughs> maybe it's the the molecules. Sure, blame it on the molecules. JT's lying on the floor doing physics stuff, and I noticed that behind him, under his hammock, is a decoupaged garbage can featuring all four members of Led Zeppelin. So I, I missed that entirely. I did not have JT pegged as a Zepp fan, but good on him. I, too, am a huge Zeppelin fan, and I also discovered them in the early 90s. So cheers, JT. To be fair, JT's room is filled with so much crap, it would be hard to spot any one thing. There is a lot of just random crap. You can tell the set decorators just just threw literally whatever they could get their hands on at that set. And uh, they seem to be looking for a fuel formula, a trigger compound, and a heat tolerant substance to, quote, contain the reactions. And it's during his description of this that we get a definite line flub from Neil. <laughs> It's wonderful. He like stutters around the line for a, a hot second and then moves on and they just left it in. It's wonderful. <laughs> they, they do that. Neil gets so frustrated over their troubles that he basically says he gives up and JT's like, great, let's give up because now he can just play baseball all summer and presumably make out with glory. Um, if he ever, ever gets to make out with glory. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, then we're back at the six foot long wall that Sydney and Garrett can't figure out how to walk around. They're still yelling <laughs> for each other. <laughs> they seem to be having a lot of trouble hearing each other. And it's probably because of all the sound of birds in the SFX. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, how many birds are there? It sounds like you're in an aviary. Jeez Louise. <laughs> Those are some aggressive birds. They're still yelling for each other, but they can't, like, yeah, no sound is traveling anywhere, which is not how sand, sound waves work, but okay. So Sydney yells, go to plan B, and Garrett hears that well enough to yell back, what is plan B? <laughs> so yeah, To be, yeah, and Sydney yells this and then just runs off. <laughs> just explains nothing, just runs. And then Garrett's like, what is plan B? Oh, what is plan B? And he like leans against the wall. And it's just like not doing anything to figure out what it is. It's well, he does figure it out though, because when we come back from commercial break, we see Sydney is huddled way down in the driver's seat of the red convertible Mercedes, talking on her Zach Morris phone with her mother, who is summoning her to tea at Mila's house. Yes, yes. Garrett finds her in the car, and they're both hiding slouched down in the front seat. But I do feel it necessary to point out the top is down on this convertible. <laughs> so if any, so I mean, they're, all, they're surrounded by mansions. If someone looks out of an upper floor window, they're going to see them in there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Also, presumably the the Mercedes is on the Rutledge property, so Garrett can just come over anytime, obviously. Like, this wall is really unnecessary. And like another famous recent wall-building episode, it doesn't work anyway, so it's a waste of money and time. <laughs> Told you this podcast gets political sometimes. <laughs> so political. So political. She accuses him of being late, and then... He's like, tell me what plan B is next time. And I don't, 
I honestly, this is the first time that I noticed that Sydney has a tiny Band-Aid over her quote-unquote stitches. Yeah. I didn't see it in the last episode where she's supposed to have stitches. So if she does have a Band-Aid in the last episode, get at me in the comments. I want to know, because I think this is the first time we see it. I think it's the first time we see it, too. It just wasn't there last time, but I don't know. Maybe not. Uh, probably, uh, probably Ray Kowalski knows. <laughs> but it is a teensy tiny band-aid. <laughs> Very small. That would not cover three sutures at all. They kind of argue tediously for a while, and then they're about to declare a truce, but Sydney kind of pulls her hand away from shaking with Garrett and says they need to get a few things straight. And then we cut to the tool and die, which is the local mechanics shop. Callie is there working on her scooter. Jimmy rides his bike into the bay. For no apparent reason, behind Jimmy, there are two posters on the wall featuring clowns, and both just say the word circus. Why are there circus posters on the wall of the garage? Again, the set dressers have much to answer for in this episode. <laughs> he comes in, he tightens, he finds a he he finds a screwdriver, he tightens a teensy screw on his scooter, goes looking f- for a different tool. Callie pops up from behind the bike that she's been working on. And I at this point I'm wondering, what kind of garage is this? Is this just like an open source tool library? What's happening? <laughs> yes. Um but Anybody when they can just come in and work on their bike. Yeah, it's just free for all. Um, yeah. But they're both kind of like obviously stoked to see each other uh, when they notice one another there. And then I, I noted sparks fly in the last place you want sparks flying, an enclosed area that's full of gasoline fumes. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is, it is very, <laughs> it is very smoldering as only Callie Walker can can do yes Callie has got that smoldered down we're back in JT's room where he's lounging in his hammock tossing a baseball up in the air and he's talking to Glory on his see-through phone do you remember the see-through phones of the era I do I do I never had one but I do remember it yeah Mm -hmm. only the coolest kids had the see-through phone I remember that and then Neil somehow manages to like cut into his phone conversation with Glory from his weird tiny more like cordless mobile phone. And JT says, "The day you learned to tap into my phone line was the darkest day of my life." True words were never spoken. Also, Neil is sitting in JT's window like three feet away when he does this. Right. So I'm not sure, why is he even bothering to hack into the phone call? Like, he can just yell at him. Right, but, um, exactly. It's very confusing. JT um, loses his fucking mind, too. He screams, like, 10,000 maniacs. <laughs> like, he mm-hmm. just freaks out. And Neil starts being grumpy about girls in astrophysics. Right. And Neil has interrupted him because he seems to be reconsidering a career in particle physics. And JT works to uh, works to cheer him up by giving him a weird pop quiz on a bunch of science stuff. And this seems to jazz and re-energize Neil into going back to working on the computer, which, which sets up one of the most amazing interchanges <laughs> that we've yeah, you, seen so far in this series. You were really into this part. I liked it. Glory um, comes in with Katie, who is JT's sister, correct? Yeah, she's like 10 years old or something. Right. We've never seen this child before. Katie has something she wants to show JT. And Neil explodes. Oh my (laughs) God. Neil is, he's got rage problems. 
Katie has made this cute little like Play-Doh bed for her imagination house or something like a dollhouse. I'm not even sure what it was entirely. But one of the things that I feel is important to note is that Glory and Katie come into the room like they've already been in the house for some time, which means that 120 seconds ago, JT was on the phone with Glory while Glory was in his house. Oh, yeah. I didn't even put that together. She called him from like another line in the house. I'm so confused. <laughs> and then, and then Neil just goes off on them. It's always girls, 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 girls. And kudos to Glory for just giving him a look because <laughs> Neil is having a meltdown. Oh. Like, scary, toxic male rage. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He hates girls so much. And I mean, he is screaming, like fit to turn himself hoarse over how much he hates girls and how useless they are and how they always interrupt him and they never have anything nice to say. And yeah, the whole time Glory just kind of looks at him like, can you believe this asshole? (laughs) It's great. Yeah. Yeah. God, I love her so much. So we cut back to the, and in the middle of Neil's meltdown, we cut back to the garage. (laughs) Yeah. So Callie learns that Jimmy works there. And they almost have like a tense confrontation over the tools. But this guy named Fats, who apparently is the shop owner, steps in and condescendingly calls Callie the little senorita. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But apparently uh, respects her ability to use the tools. Yes. She knows how to use tools. Therefore, she may use them. I, I'm also not really sure why Fats is called Fats, because he looks to be a very average build to me. He also, to me, looks like a discarded Carmen Sandiego villain. <laughs> this this man is wearing jeans, a tie-dyed shirt with a leather vest over it, and then a like a leather flat cap. And <laughs> he comes in and just starts yakking at these two children about hanging out in the shop with both of their dads working on bikes but he sits with his back to the camera the entire time so that Callie and Jimmy can just like ogle each other over the bikes yeah thank you the blocking is so bizarre he like sits on a crate fully not looking anywhere close to the camera and I kept thinking like maybe there was going to be some big reveal like he was going to turn around and have like a phantom of the opera face or something (laughs) no it was just bad directing also the line he delivers about reminiscing about working on bikes with Callie's and Jimmy's dads is just one for the ages he says I remember when we me and you me and your two dads would be in here together tinkering and tonkering on our hogs (laughs) okay listen it's not the fault of the writers that in the the 2020s hog came to be a slang term for penis but (laughs) just picture fats and callie's dad and jimmy's dad just like doing a circle jerk in the toilet can we just talk for a second about how i cannot see Callie's dad, Captain Walker of the submarine on a motorcycle. This is a man who wears like a smoking jacket and an ascot. I mean. <laughs> He's the and, last dude you would ever expect. And then, oh. then he goes, Callie, uh, that was before your old man started trashing stock cars. So our submarine captain was a stock car driver. 
Yeah, uh, Elia Walker has quite a history, and unfortunately, we never find out anything about it. <laughs> but that's that's probably why this is the only place left. Yes, he crashed stock cars in literally every other city on the planet. <laughs> this yeah. is it. Yep. <laughs> and then, did you what is what is the line that he says about Jimmy's dad? Because I have something that I think is accurate, but I'm wondering what you think he says about jimmy's dad yeah so he mentions he says to jimmy that was before your dad started like slinging liquor or something like that and then he goes okay restaurant touring so i think the implication is that jimmy's dad owns a bar and somehow okay. that is shocking in the world of swans crossing okay because here's what i heard okay the four-year-old man got into trading with spirits, Jimmy. And I literally was like, is Jimmy's dad a warlock? <laughs> wow. Which I mean amazing. Listen, since since Jimmy's family's backstory was apparently supposed to be explored in season two, which never happened, R.I.P. Swan's Crossing. Wah, wah. Um, let's just make it headcanon that Jimmy's dad is a warlock. I think that's the only logical explanation. His okay. dad is a warlock. Listen, all of you 400 members of the Facebook group, all of you other fans out there, Stacey Mosley, everyone who for some reason listens to this terrible podcast, we have decreed it. Jimmy is the son of a warlock. 100%. So most He's trading with spirits. <laughs> so then we're back at the car where Garrett and Sydney are trying to work out a solution to their problem of how they can be horny on each other when their parents hate each other's guts so hardcore. And Garrett is like, don't you want to be seen with me? And he actually seems genuinely distressed that Sydney won't stand up to her mom a little more. It's like believable acting. So kudos to Shane McDermott. Yeah, it's uh, this is actually like as scenes uh, be between these two go, this is actually one of my favorites. Uh, I do want to point out that the entire backseat of the convertible is filled with Mayor Rutledge for Mayor signs. <laughs> mayor Rutledge for Mayor? Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> also, remember um, the mayor mayoral contest. As far as we know, at this point, anyway, is uncontested. <laughs> so right. she's just running right. against have, no one. We have no idea who her opponent is, but she obviously needs Sydney's help with the campaign. They they're trying to find a way to get together without without Muffy knowing. And there's this like never ending back and forth of will they, won't they? And you find you also find out that Grant Booth is the same way. He will not let Sydney come over any more than Muffy will not let Garrett come over. Yeah, it's a, an ongoing problem. And then and then Garrett slyly says that maybe there's a way they can use Mila. And Sydney is like instantly hot for him because she loves the word use. They get like so close that they are practically making out, and she's like use. I love that word. It's like, whoa. And they get super kissy close as the screen fades to black. But before we move on, can we talk about the big ass purple ring that Garrett's wearing? Yes, I noticed that weird ring. What is that? Well, I have no idea. It is humongous. And it is, it's like silver. It's got a big purple stone on it. And I was like, I, I mean, in the 90s, I, as a young man, was not wearing a lot of jewelry. <laughs> Um, and certainly nothing that would draw that much attention. I think it's, it kind of looks like a class ring. So I wonder if maybe it's meant to be like his dad's class ring. Okay. That was, that was kind of a thing among rich dudes back in that day. 
but it just kind of right. looks like an NFL ring. Like it's huge and gaudy. Yeah. And it's the first time I've noticed it because it's a close up on Garrett and he like puts his hand up to his face for a moment. And, and it's like, I couldn't concentrate on what he was saying. Cause I was looking at the ring. It is. It's like, a, um, it's like a Tudor gem. It's insane. We're back from the commercial break. And, oh my God. This scene. <laughs> the, there is a long, slow shot of Sydney and Garrett's feet on the seats of the convertible and she is stroking his leg hair with her toes bare feet they are playing the worst most uncomfortable to watch footsie for so I, long it is so strange and <laughs> and we, we like the camera pans around and we realize that they are they are seated with their backs to the dashboard and their feet on the back of the seats of the convertible. And Sarah Michelle Geller has been placed in this position where she has like, f- like two or three or four pillows <laughs> against the steering wheel so that she doesn't, you know, fall into a gap. And I was like, where did these pillows come from? Who pillows in the convertible? <laughs> yeah, they're like throw pillows. It's so the Muffy most unnatural keeps... position I've ever seen in a car. Oh my god, yeah. Muffy just keeps some sofa cushions in the trunk of the <laughs> you never know when you're gonna need them. And yeah, it is it is a strangely blocked scene. Um they really went to a lot of, of contortions in order to get uh the footsie scene. Yeah, but but then then they start to go over the plan. Uh Libby, do you want to share the plan? Yes, I do. So Sydney is writing down a contract on the back of the Mayor Rutledge for Mayor Flyers, which lays yep. out how Garrett may and may not interact with Mila. And uh, this scene is interesting to me because it reads very much like a situation that's far too adult and too complicated for these kids to be in. Because even though nothing sexual is actually discussed, the energy of what's going on here is just like so thoroughly sexual. Like the negotiations they're making are a hundred percent. How do I say this without without giving away too much personal information? <laughs> it's the kind of negotiation couples have to make when they are intentionally opening up their relationship or like right. entering into swinging or something like that. And Sydney's like desperately trying to maintain her control over the situation or at least she's trying to maintain her self-delusion that she is in control of what's going to happen right and it really does feel like hey we're we're about to like start polyamory let's lay out the guidelines yeah so so here's the here's how what they come up with as their plan so they can still be together (laughs) they're they're continuing to delude themselves at this point so sydney's going to pretend like mila is her best friend and Garrett's going to pretend like he's dating Mila, but he's not really. He's really dating Sydney. So everyone in Swan's Crossing, especially their parents, will think that he and Sydney are like over for good. Um, and they're and they're both just hanging out with Mila kind of between them because they're really interested in Mila. But then they can take the opportunity to kind of sneak around and play grab ass all they want without anyone suspecting. And and and, and Sydney's whole thing is is that Garrett Garrett is like I have to it has to be convincing and Sydney's like yeah but I don't want to be convinced so Garrett she's essentially putting Garrett in this place of <laughs> you have to convince everyone but me yeah she's like you have you to and Mila are a thing yeah it's so wild like Sydney kind of realizes that she's going to have to witness her boyfriend like doing boyfriend things with another girl like this is why 
it's coded as a very sexual thing. Like Sydney starts to get into where all the rules and the boundaries are and like how far Garrett can push things before he crosses a line. And she keeps saying stuff like, I'll stay interested as long as you're not really interested in Mila at all. And like, it's just so, ah, Oh gosh. This is a thing that, that 30 year olds do. So then abruptly, we're back to Neil, who's still in the grip of his toxic masculinity rage stroke. He's yelling still at Glory and Katie, and they're still just looking at him the way you look at people who refuse to wear a mask in a grocery store, and they're screaming about 5G and adrenochrome while they're escorted out of the building by an 18-year-old who doesn't get paid enough to do his job. And and we do we should probably talk about JT's behavior in this scene because it is it is typical for what a lot of men do when their friends are <laughs> yelling at women, which is nothing. Yeah, JT, do better. <laughs> yeah, he's sitting there spinning the baseball that he's holding, and then he like well actually is Gloria. <laughs> Uh, or glory, excuse me. And then and then Neil's like, yeah, yeah, let the girl silence you. <laughs> it is so it's it's like, yeah, Neil is definitely an incel. I mean, if he if he weren't closeted gay boy who has not figured that out about himself yet, he would for sure be an incel. Which <laughs> is crazy. <laughs> so then we're back at the car again, which is not where I want to be right now, because everything that's going on in that car is so unpleasantly awkward. Mm-hmm. And uh Sydney's getting upset because Garrett suggested giving a red rose to Mila, but that's their thing, so it's out of the question. Right. The contract includes hand-holding, but no other touching. Hanging out, not too friendly. Yes to movies, but no love stories. Horseback riding on separate horses. Romantic picnics in public view. And then there's like a a transition to later. (laughs) It's like, how long has this contract thing been going on? I mean, they really hammered it out. Oh, but, uh, yeah, Garrett, Garrett's like, listen, I think this is going to be too hard on you. Like, <laughs> you can't do it. And Sydney's like, oh, no, this is fine. Like, she's determined and... to watch Garrett mack on another girl as part of her elaborate scheme to save their relationship. <laughs> right. Anyway, Garrett agrees on the condition that Sydney is going to stand up to her mother and be seen with him when he asks. And this seems like a very difficult decision for Sydney, but she agrees. And they they ink it all on this contract. They both sign it. And can I, I just want to point out that the piece of paper that they are using does look like it has been extensively written on by a high schooler. <laughs> like <laughs> It does. <laughs> looks like it has been thoroughly scribbled on. I think they literally um, wrote all this down in the scene. It was very real. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I think I have our title for this episode. Which Con- is? Contractual cucking. beautiful okay we're going with it (laughs) i love it and then he signs it and then he's like don't you think there should be something else to seal the deal (laughs) and she gives him this smile like what did you have in mind (laughs) and we never we we don't find out yet though because neil is still raging over girls still still he's comparing women to jt's dog well jt's dog is a girl so you know (laughs) like i can't it it has been going on so long at this point that i was like i hope that i really hope they shot all this in like one long scene and then just cut it up later because it feels like it has been going on for like 10 minutes with neil just like screaming it really does and and glory gets mad at being compared to a dog and jt says 
At least he's finally noticing girls. First of all, JT, wake up. Neil is as gay as the day is long. And then Glory <laughs> says, if he's noticing that way, he should have his eyes poked out. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> yeah. Also, we need to point out that the during much of the shouting match in this scene, the t- camera is riveted to tiny Katie as Neil and Glory are in this yelling match. She has no lines, but she is adorable. She is super cute. She's super cute. And and there's this cute kind of like big brother moment where JT kind of sweetly teases her and he picks her up and, and sets her on his desk, but he accidentally puts her down on Neil's mouse and Neil just like explodes all over again. He's so volatile. Yep. Apparently, the one click of that mouse has pasted all of their work on every scientific bulletin board with a single click. And I just want to point out that that is not how things work. (laughs) That's never how the internet ever worked at any point. (laughs) Yeah. Back in the car, Garrett and Sydney move in for a kiss, but, you know, make it super slow, like the slowest two people have ever attempted to kiss before. And just before their lips meet, the brick phone rings. Because people almost never kiss in this show. I think it's happened like twice, as far as I'm I not, remember. Has it happened at all up to this point? Because I don't remember point. seeing a single kiss. No, okay. not up to this point. And we don't actually see... The, the, the one kiss that I know happens and that I can remember for sure is like in the 30s. Like somewhere around episode 30-ish. Jeez Louise. I mean, it's really like watching a Bollywood film. It is. It, <laughs> in it, that way. It occurs um, roughly around the same point where we get the requisite someone is in a coma storyline because it's a soap opera. Someone's got to be. Oh my gosh. I'm not telling you who. You got to find out. Listen, I want to just pause for a moment and and say that we are more than 10% into the show at this point. I'm... (laughs) I feel very I feel very committed but at the same time I'm like 30 episodes away. I mean 30, 30 episodes in we will not be halfway through this show. I know. <laughs> so uh anyway, the brick phone rings. It's Mila's mom and she's calling to find out where Sydney is cuz she was late for their tea party. So Sydney is off to Mila's house to put their plan into action to make Mila believe they are BFFs. And Garrett just sinks down into the car that does not belong to his family, presumably to take a nap or possibly abuse himself or something. Right. I mean, he, yes. (laughs) He is a 14 year old boy after all. So exactly. (laughs) And he got very close to kissing. So close. (laughs) Back at the tool and die, Fats is fantasizing about how he's going to ride his motorcycle all around the planet. And there's this weird old-timey doll in a yellow dress on the shelf behind him so more interesting set dressing there and then he's fat says i'd be gone tomorrow if it wasn't so busy around here and i'm like fats there are two people in the shop working on scooters (laughs) it is not busy and it's really great too because callie and jimmy kind of look around the shop like uh we're literally the only (laughs) only ones here (laughs) oh Callie, Callie volunteers to work at the shop and Fats asks Jimmy if it's fine. And Jimmy does not answer. He's just like, I'm out. got to check out my bike. And there's a crazy long bit where he puts his helmet on, mounts the bike and rides off. Like he could have answered at any point during this like 30 seconds of like getting ready to ride a scooter. I know, but I think we're supposed to to infer from that that he does not believe girls can do shop stuff. Now, in fairness... 
Jimmy was not alone in that belief because when I was 17 in 1997, I tried to take a shop class at my high school and the fucking shop teacher would not allow me into the class because he didn't think girls belonged in shop. This oh, was a you. Yeah, this was yeah. a violation of Title IX, but no one did anything about it because it was the 90s and the 90s were terrible. Yeah. So anyway, Jimmy zooms off on his bike. Fats sends Callie after him to teach him the error of his ways. And it's pretty obvious that Callie isn't like actually starting her bike. But a muffled scooter sound effect plays as she kind of kick pushes it out of the shot. And then once she's out of the shot, you can actually hear her boots on the floor. as She just walks off stage. I love it so much. And then she drives off. Fats, like the camera zooms in on Fats and he smiles and shakes his head and is like, kids. (laughs) And that's another uncomfortably long shot. Like we really get Fats' reaction. It's beautiful. Then we're at Mila's house, and Countess Rosnovsky answers the door with Tutu, the cockatoo, on her shoulder. Um, I'm not going to lie. I kind of love Tutu. I'm a bird person. What can I say? I mean, Tutu, at this point, I love because it is eating her pearls. Like, <laughs> it's literally just, like, trying to work those pearls off of her neck and eat them. It's amazing. <laughs> yes, he's going for it. Muffy and Valeria, which is the Countess's first name, get caught up Valeria. on their... Valeria. Valeria, okay. yes. They get caught up on their past history when they were teens together in Swan's Crossing. And then Sydney comes running up, and Mila uh, comes down to greet her and takes Sydney up to her bedroom while the moms go off to do rich mom things. Would you like to tell us about, first of all, how they get to Mila's bedroom? <laughs> so the Countess is like, show Sydney around, and Mila's like... The elevator's this way. And Sydney's like, the elevator? And, and is this a rich people thing? Do you have elevators in your homes normally? Tell us, please. Is Get it, in the comments. Is this a rich people thing? My, my grandpa built his own home and he put an elevator in it, but not because he was rich, because he was like, someday I'm going to be too old for these stairs. <laughs> So, so we cut to the elevator door opening, and I do need to point out that when the elevator door opens, Mila and Sydney stand up like they've been sitting on a bench. So, so this elevator not only comes equipped with a bench, but is also long enough that you need to sit down for this ride. <laughs> is their house like 18 stories tall? Like, what is this? I would assume so. Mila's room is insanely pink. (laughs) That's exactly what I wrote in my notes, too. There's that line in Steel Magnolias where it talks about the sanctuary being hosed down with (laughs) Pepto-Bismol. And that is exactly what I thought when the camera pans across this room. Oh, my God. There is. Yeah. there There is a fireplace a small chaise, a door to a balcony, I think. There's a penguin, a rhino side table, um, uh, which which Mila says, be careful, if it doesn't like you, it charges. <laughs> There's a swan on the headboard. There's a high heel telephone. There's personal stationery. There's a dressing area which has a wall of TVs, which I think are there so that you can view your outfit from all angles. The fireplace flips around to be a sink and vanity, like old timey, like like turn the wall for the secret passage. And the camera work is so bizarre. 
in this scene. Mila and Sydney, after they come out of the elevator, are never in the same shot. It is crazy. All of it is disorienting and crazy and so aggressively pink. My God. Yeah. Also, we need to talk about the phone. <laughs> the high heel telephone? Yeah. So there's this red high heeled shoe telephone. It is clearly plastic and much too large for any person's foot. Like I wear size 12 women's shoes. That's a size 10 equivalent men's or 10 and a half. I have big, big ass feet. This shoe is too big for my foot. Um, and Mila's like, oh, it's a shoe I wore at the Globes last year. And then my mom had it made into a phone. And the other shoe is in the TV Hall of Fame. So recall from prior episodes when I said we needed to remember uh, Mila's history because she was top star Mila Rosnowski, whose show was canceled two years ago when she was 13. No way was she famous enough that a single one of her shoes is a coveted addition to the TV Hall of Fame collection. Also, just in case Paul ever should happen to listen to this podcast, let me state for the benefit of my ex-plumber husband that there is no way the sink in the vanity rotating wall thing could work because you can't get plumbing that will work with a rotating wall. <laughs> That's yep. for you, Paul. <laughs> Sydney's like, we're going to be great friends. Mila says, I've never had a chance to have a real friend. Let's Aww. change. And, and she goes, let's change this to sunshine. And she grabs a remote. And she re she like remote controls the lights behind the bed to get a more daylight feel in the room. <laughs> and the final shot of the episode is Sydney laying on Mila's bed looking forlorn and envious. It is so great. It's, it's so great. So good. It's so oh, good. Such a good episode. I loved it. it. And it really like it in some ways makes me feel really bad for Mila because I'm like, if this if this is feeling like true friendship to you, like what horrible, weird film and television life have you led? Oh, I know. Poor Mila. She's so darling and so sweet. And uh, just Swan's Crossing is just going to chew her up and spit her out. It's just terrible. Uh. Yeah. Most psychotic, I think. I'm sure we agree that Neil has, has taken the cake. Oh my gosh, yes. I mean, there there is a case to be made for the weird uh, interaction between Garrett and Sydney, and like how controlling that whole situation is. But Neil takes the cake in this yeah. episode for true psycho psychopath. Yeah, Neil went hard on this one. Yep. Yeah. Um, I only counted one new fake swan and yeah. it's on, it's on Mila's bed. And that is partially because we do not get the theme song at all in this episode. Yeah, that was weird. No theme an, song. Yeah. And we also got no jazz. We got no, uh, Swan's Cafe. Um, we got no Owen and Sandy whatsoever. Uh, are we, are we ready for predictions for next I'm, week? I'm ready. I'm going to mute and type like Neil. Yeah. Go for it. I think next week we got to get some Owen and Sandy in there. I have a feeling Owen, Owen is going to be obsessing about Mila because that seems to be his big thing. I think Mila is going to start to feel very close to Sydney very quickly. And Sydney is going to start to get jealous very quickly seeing Garrett with Mila. And what else? I think JT and Neil have, they're, they're back at it. They're not going to give up on their weird science projects. I hope something, I think something comes for them. They get, start to get some sort of response to Professor Van, whether it's from the, uh, the Baldies or whoever. 
I also think, again, we got to narrow in that uh, computer search. I hope that comes back because last time we had narrowed it to North America and now I want it to be the Eastern Seaboard. And I there doesn't seem to be anything in the works right now to get JT and Glory closer together. together. I think, again, next time I think we're going to find out what the next big event is. Uh, whatever, because what, the last one was 4th of July, so there's got to be another event coming up that we're preparing for, but we didn't find out what it was this episode. That's what I think. Okay, great. Well, um, we will find out next week how close you were on uh, on those predictions. And uh, I suppose that that takes us to the end of the end of this glorious episode. Uh, once again, you can find us on Twitter at Gotta Grow Up Pod and on Instagram at Swans Cross Pod. And also special shout out to Richard Winsler and Steve Lane, who wrote uh, and recorded the theme music for our podcast. And we are using it with their very kind permission. Thank you, Richard and Steve. Yes. And uh, until we meet again, my friends of Swans Crossing, may all of your cucking be according to the contract you have stipulated. Seems like just yesterday, both your pops and me, eh, we'd all be in here tinkering and tonkering on our hogs. <laughs> yes, indeed. Those were the days.